How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi, I'm Carl Engelman. I live in Hayesville, North Carolina. Um, I'm a business owner, restauranteur, and I'm also a uh, recording artist, and I like to call myself a producer, too. I'll go with that. (laughs) Producer of food and a producer of music. And you're a father of some children. Yep. I've got three boys, ages 11, 17, and 21. When did you know food and music would be your main calling? That's actually uh, the whole food thing kind of lend into the music thing. In other words, I wanted to play music pretty much out of high school. I took jazz guitar lessons. I started getting together with people to play music. I got got into bands with some progressive rock people. We were writing and recording original material. And I wanted to do that all the time, of course, but I needed to make money. And music really didn't pay the bills back in the day. So I needed to get work. And I was working in kitchens pretty much out of the gate. Even in high school, I had a couple of kitchen jobs. I think my first job, I was a busboy at an Italian restaurant. And my first night, I broke the largest crystal bowl in the place. (laughs) <laughs> I think it was, I was 15 years old. Oh, they hated me after that. It was awful. But anyway, I've always been in kitchens in the kitchen atmosphere and the kitchen culture. And I would always play music on the weekends. So I remember there were some times where I was, I was working at a cafe. It was the farmer's market cafe in South Bend, Indiana. And it was such a cool place because it was a farmer's market on the outside, like in a square And then on the inside, in the direct center, was a cafe. So in the morning, the chef and I would go and we would just grab whatever we would see in the market and bring it back to the the restaurant and cook from there. It was fantastic. And there were times when I would work that morning, like a a Saturday morning or a Friday. I'd work a Friday morning and then have a gig Friday night and then work at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and then have a gig on Saturday night. There were times where I wouldn't even sleep or sleep for an hour or two. So, but I was younger than I could take it. You know, there's no, no problem. You're living the high life. Living the high life for sure. Yeah. It was, it was definitely ping ponging between the kitchen and music. And like we talk about, you know, using the creative gymnastics with the culinary stuff and then it flowed into the music stuff for sure. It was, um, Definitely a great time, you know, to develop and to be creative on both aspects. Right around that time is when I was in a band with Jake Sinegar, who's the lead guitar player for Humphreys McGee 
And then, you know, we got pretty big and we were touring around and there was a point in time where we actually did tours out in the Northeast and stuff. And then I'd have to take time off of my job for that, but it, it worked out. And I remember on the road, I was always the guy who cooked for everybody. We would go to the grocery store, we'd get everything, and then we'd cook in some stranger's house <laughs> on the road, someplace in Rochester, New York, or or wherever. Well, that is special because I think a lot of bands go through the McDonald's drive-through. Oh yeah, <laughs> being being on the road is is such it's so awful for for eating and taking care of yourself. It's so hard, and I think that's what that's one big reason why people don't last very long on the road. What did your family think about you hitting the road and this, the style of music you loved to play and all that? I think my family at the time, they were like, what is he doing? Why won't he call us? There was a, actually a, a bad time where my grandfather died when I was on the road. And uh, when I came back, and it's happened the same with my aunt too. When I came back, I got phone messages. This is before cell phones. Or we didn't have cell phones. I mean, there were cell phones around, but we didn't have them. I came back home to discover that, you know, they had died and I'd already missed the funeral. And I just got on a train and get, you know, went to Chicago as soon as I could. But that was probably the worst part about being on the road was missing those funerals and, and having that happen. That kind of sucked. But. Yeah, definitely. And also, that's a good example of technology changing so many things. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. 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 But I love what you're saying that it was like your two creative endeavors that were naturally calling you kind of did dovetail nicely together because yes. one was more daytime, one was more nighttime. And then that worked out. That's really cool because it doesn't always work out that way. Correct. Correct. And uh, it was weird because, you know, I'd be working in the restaurant or whatever and people would see me from the night before like, oh, I thought I saw you playing at the thing. I'm like, yeah, I work here, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're like sleep is an option <laughs> yes yes there were lots of nights where it was it was one or two hours for sure can't do that anymore we know that like learning instruments or becoming a great cook all those things are an accumulation of small things mm -hmm. were there things you were consciously practicing or do you think it was just that you were engaged with the process like you knew that if it was challenging that's okay you keep on going um, I recall culinarily speaking, when I first started working in kitchens and I worked in a, at a few mansions and stuff when I was a little younger, right around that time period when I was also starting with the bands and everything, I recall there being a lot of not exactly practicing, but learning techniques like knife skills was a big one and breaking down proteins and that kind of thing where it was half somebody was showing me how to do it, but it was also half of me figuring it out on my own. And definitely with music is about the same thing. Looking at magazines or books, or I had an instructor for jazz guitar back then. I've got that happening, but at the same time, I'm trying to figure out stuff on my own because the world is too big. If you just, if you're just working on what someone's trying to show you or teach you, you're going to miss out on a, bunch of other stuff. So I recall at the same time I was learning jazz guitar and writing music and being in a prog band, I also got some books on um, counterpoint for classical music. And I started doing like my own worksheets 
and, and learning how to do that kind of stuff without an instructor and just for the, the heck of it. I, I thought it was valuable for me to learn how to do something like that and apply it to what I was doing musically. My friend Ian says that we're all self-taught. Mm. And I think that's kind of interesting because really, even if we have a teacher, it comes down to our motivation and our willingness to go through how difficult that process is. It's like a roller coaster, you know, sometimes you're getting it. Sometimes you hit a plateau or your fingers won't do what you want on the fretboard, or you compare yourself to somebody who you admire so much, you know, but I think sometimes we also need a teacher. We need somebody to just save hours of our life by just showing us some tips and tricks. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Especially if you're just diving into something. So it takes, as we know, (laughs) lots of time and energy to write songs, record them and put them out into the world. And you're also a father and you have a job that involves waking up at 530 in the morning and things such as that. And so where does your your never ending motivation and positive attitude come from? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, Just for the I think it has to do with love, love for the art and love for my job and love for my kids and love for family. And I don't know what else I would do. I really don't. Um, I don't like to sit around at all. I feel guilty sitting around, (laughs) but I don't, I I don't have an answer to where the energy comes, but I could tell you it's all mental. It's definitely, definitely mental for sure. I'm just, uh, I'm a driven person for sure. I'm not complete unless I'm working hard and I'm doing music. When I say doing music, I mean in some kind of form, whether it's sitting down playing banjo or it's recording somebody or myself or working on something. Uh, Like right now I'm working on, I'm working on a lot of things right now. I I always have like a whole big list of things that I'm doing. Like uh, the other day I woke up and I turned to everybody and the kids at the kitchen table and I said, do you guys know what time it is? And they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, it's time to start recording the Christmas album. Because <laughs> that's this is what you do. Because I, I have two Christmas albums, or I actually have three. One of them is on, you can get on Spotify, you can stream on all of the Amazon, YouTube and all that. It's called uh, Christmas Apocalypse 2020. I did it last year. Um, and we're going to do another one this year, which is not titled yet, but I've already started working on it. So you have to, when you're doing a Christmas album, you have to start recording early because you need the release to be somewhere around Thanksgiving or December 1st, like the first week of December. So there's definitely a target. And I, I think I work best musically with a gun to my head. So if I'm like, I've got to get this done by this day, and then I'll just start producing and putting out stuff so right now i've got that and then i've got another musician a local musician who is uh he's fantastic he just does his own songs he has his own songs right his name is craig Sasser. he's from key west by way of atlanta but he's got some great songs before we record any song he wants me to know the story of the song before we press record and a lot of times I'm like, man, okay, you can tell me the song, you can tell me the story later. Let's go. I gotta record. But he makes it a point that he thoroughly goes through everything he was thinking, everything that the song means, 
and all of the details before we start recording. I've never had anybody do that before, but he's just adamant about it. So that shows you one person's take on music and how important it is, you know, versus another person or another person recording that person. I've done some work with Andrew Chastain's band. He's local too. And uh, I still work with Ben Kilmer often. He comes and plays drums and stuff like that. But, you know, recording somebody like Craig is an inspiration to me because it's like, oh, okay, this guy really cares about the story behind all of this stuff. And maybe I need to. I could tell you one thing definitely about writing music. In the earlier days, it was, for me, it was writing the music first and then writing the stories later. Now it's completely the opposite when I'm doing a project. It, the first thing is like, get all the ideas down, write them all out, and then pull out of the musical hemisphere, the musical techniques, what time signature does this feel like, you know, and then putting it all together from there. How do I express myself or what I'm thinking? Well, how do I express these lyrics with the music? So it, my whole thinking and creative process has completely flipped in the last 20 years, for sure. And I also noticed that the culinary side of you is overlapping a lot with the music side of you. And don't you have a whole album that is all food yes, related? It's called, it's called Food. <laughs> it's got a picture of me eating a hamburger on the front, uh, talking on a phone. Yes, I do have a whole album that came out. With, uh, that um, I released that in the middle of the pandemic. And well, I think one. people should go check it out and we'll definitely include the links. <laughs> That's right. The, they can go listen to Aspartame Donut. <laughs> Aspartame Donuts, yes. Donuts. And Aspartame Donuts is interesting because there's actually a lot of overlap with my employees in that album. Because we, we're in the kitchen, there's like this culture of just talking smack. So we were kind of coming up with rhyming exercises that's how aspartame donuts came to be like uh basmati maserati i mean the two things have absolutely nothing to do with each other you know one of them is an italian sports car and the other one is an indian grain of rice but they just have adi on it so oh you could say biscotti you know you could say chapati which is a indian flatbread you know you can go on and on and on and on so it was a lot of fun to put that album together because it was mostly a rhyming experience. And then out of the rhyming experience bubbled up like these actual serious notes, like things that actually made sense, <laughs> if you will. But uh, there was a lot of fun doing that record. And that's a really good example of what you were talking about. Well, one is inspirations everywhere. And yeah. the other is collaboration with your staff and how that is also overlapping with your other creative realms and that you're totally open to that. I think that's really fun. You're taking note of it and then you're, yeah. you're having a fun time with them and then you're going and creating with it. Yes. And as a matter of fact, Jacob Ebert's the one who came up with the title Aspartame Donuts because it was just like ear candy, but it really was kind of like artificial ear candy, if you will, which is aspartame, essentially. Yeah, it's a little bit a comment on maybe something we shouldn't eat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't eat one of those. Just no. listen to the song. <laughs> no, or don't eat 20 of them at least. 
What would you say one of your biggest struggles have been juggling family life with your creative work life? Well, like in the past, when I was the executive chef at a resort in the area, it was eight to eight, six days a week. So as far as seeing children and seeing wives and, and all that, it was, a, it was very hard. I get home, want to go to bed. The last thing I wanted to do was write a song. So I'll tell you, in that time period when I was very involved with being an executive chef for corporations, there, were, there was hardly any time for music during that time period. So basically sucked the life out of, you know, creative life out of me during those time periods for sure. And so creating your own business was mm. in fact a way to support your family and creative life. It was the get out of jail free card for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause so you're still working hard. It's not about that. It's about yeah. balancing it out in a better way. Yeah. I think there's this momentum of energy when you're working for yourself that, carries over into your family life and your creative life. But when you're working for a corporation and you have to be there all the time and you don't really have a say so in the way things are operated and there's less creativity at the job, then it becomes a job and then it wears on you. And yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> well, also you can create it a little more the way you want to, including hours. So you intentionally yeah. are not open for dinner, for example. Absolutely. Exactly. What's your most favorite dish you have to offer at Epic Catering? Okay. That right now. Okay. Right now. That, I'm glad you said right now because that always changes like the wind. We were going to do some beignets this week. So that's kind of exciting. Let me see. We were doing some, some curry dishes. I came up with a technique of making, I call it the uh, all-purpose curry paste for Indian food. And it's like, it only has about six ingredients because a lot of, you probably know this, but a lot of curry has like a million ingredients in it. There's all kinds of food. So I simplified it and made like this paste and we will do like curry red lentils or something like that and incorporate this paste, peppers, tomatoes. My favorite thing to do right now is to go to the farm. I go to the SM&M farm over there off of Tusquiddy in Hayesville on the other side of town. I love to go to the farm and see what looks awesome. And right now it's all okras, tomatoes, and corn. It's my favorite time of year to go shopping at the farmer's market for sure. So that has a big, a big influence on what we like to do. I really like this dish. It was a take on huevos rancheros, but I did it on eggplant instead of tostadas. Yeah, because eggplants are amazing right now. At the farm, they have these globular eggplants that are just gorgeous. So I'm like, man, I want to do something with that. So I was like, let's do huevos rancheros with, and we make our own chorizo at the restaurant too. We make and grind all of our sausages for breakfast. We have a chicken sausage and a regular sausage and we make our own chorizo. And then we make Italian sausage every now and then too. I love that part of it. We do as well. We make our own falafels. We make our own bagels. We make our own sourdough bread. We make our own focaccia. We're pretty much, I would say like 90% everything in-house. You know, we make our own dressings. That's so, really special. That's really not your usual dining situation. 
I couldn't do this if I didn't do it that way. And that is, that is a huge part of uh, definitely um, a parallel between the, my music world and my culinary world. I like to do my own music, write my own stuff, play my own instruments. And then I like to do all of my own ingredients or dishes from scratch. I think everybody should go eat at Epic Catering in good old Hayesville, North Carolina. We're right across the street from the ABC store, so you can't miss it. Easy us. to find. That's right. That's how I tell everybody where it's at. I just say, that, say, you know where the ABC store is, right? And everybody knows. <laughs> what would you say is filling up your inspiration cup these days? Something that's not something you've created, something outside of you, a person or a thing or an experience oh, that gotcha. is rejuvenating you. I started to buy full symphony scores and I don't, I don't compose to that level, but I can follow it when I'm listening to it. So having something like Amazon music is amazing because I can just buy these full scores and then download the music. And then I love to sit with the music playing and following the scores. And it's not that easy. It's very challenging, especially, you know, with some of the stuff i think it's uh mendelssohn's third is one of the most amazing pieces of music i've ever read and listened to at the same time just incredible i can't believe that people were i mean people were composing at this level and making this music today it's almost foreign and it's so intricate and amazing and then you have to put yourself back in time okay if i'm in the audience and I'm watching Mendelssohn's third or Beethoven's ninth or whatever, what have you, there are no, there's no recorded music at that time period. So the composers are bringing in like themes and they're repeating these themes throughout the scores. And it's because they're strong things that they want people to take home with them to memorize while they're there. Cause there is no recorded music. And I think that, it has a lot to do with the structure of composed music from back in the day to now. Now it's like we take it for granted. Now we have, we have a recording of it. You know, we don't need to think about it. I think people used to be able to listen to music and be able to put it on notation a lot easier back in the day than they could now. Because now we don't have a use for it, really. We don't, we're not listening to Cardi B and scoring it out you know yeah with musical notation you know we're not doing that but back in the day you had to that's how you would memorize something or or how you would like jot a note down take it home with you and say oh that the third movement of you know beethoven's third was amazing it was like this you know that's definitely been an inspiration for me is going through these scores and then putting myself into into the time that they were written and how amazing the stuff was I love that. that is, <laughs> that's like you have to focus really hard. So then that's relaxing for your brain because you can't hold other things in your brain while you're reading and listening and reading. and listening. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. And I'm like, you know, you've got the paper. I don't have one up here right now, but it's like you're like following with your finger and, uh, and I'll have to hold it while I turn the page and then go up to the top. It's it's challenging. Some of that stuff yeah. is fast. Also so different from your own music, but I bet it sneaks oh, yeah. in a little bit. 
It does. And right now I'm actually uh, working on a motif. It's uh, Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. The very beginning, you've probably heard it before. If you've heard it, you'd be like, okay, I think I've heard this on a commercial or I've heard this somewhere. It's a string part and it's kind of like in a, in a minor it's it's doubled so it's like and so i use that and i put heavy metal instruments on it <laughs> uh, but i want to use it in the future for one of my songs i haven't figured out where i'm going to plug it in but that specifically yes i've taken away from that literally from the score because i was reading the score and i was like oh i love that and then i pulled it off and actually on Aspartame Donuts, the first song, Itty Gitty uh, Guinea Committee, there's a lyric in there about did a jig on Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. And at the end of the song, I actually have a piece of uh, the Strav Stravinsky's Rite of Spring that I've looped. The Rite of Spring was a very controversial piece. When it was played for the first time, they had like a riot. And there were people up at the stage throwing stuff at the musicians and going crazy. There was ladies banging their head on the, on the stage. It's nuts. Look it up. Anyway, but one part in particular where the strings sound like heavy metal guitars. They sound like heavy metal people would call it um, power chord chugging. And Stravinsky was able to make this sound with the strings. And it was like, it's one of the first times where you'll ever hear that. And that's the piece that I took and put on Itty Bitty Giddy Committee. At the very end, you can hear it. Well, that's a really good example of telling the story of one of your songs that people might not understand. What the heck is he talking about? And oh, to hear yeah. the story is so fun because then we can go listen and listen for that part. And also why it's so important to fill our inspiration cup with things that may or may not seem related to what we do because we will surprise ourselves or accidentally fold some of that into our, our own work. Yeah, and actually I, I'm using some classical and also some jazz right now planning for the Christmas album. I'm doing an intro for one of the songs. It's funny because I want it to sound, but it's, it's not exactly like, but I want it to sound like the intro for Stairway to Heaven by uh, Led Zeppelin where it's got the guitar and the recorders. So I got a recorder. I downloaded all of the notes and the fingerings for the recorder. I'm going to do this myself is what I'm trying to say. I don't know how to play a recorder, really. But um, I have a, a composition program that I use. It's called MuseScore. And I've actually composed my takeoff of Stairway to Heaven, but it's like different chords with these two recorders. And that Christmas song is... Christmas time means love and money. That's the name of the song. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you when you say Christmas album. Is it all your own words with Christmas that makes it Christmassy? Or are you doing your own covers of Christmas songs? Both. My biggest hit is a song called Sausage Balls. And, <laughs> and it's because every Christmas time, Ellen's mom made it before, but she makes sausage balls. And everybody in the family loves this song. So it's actually become like a Christmas song inside of the family. I do traditional Christmas songs, and I usually do the stuff out of things that are safe in the public domain, so they're not copywritten. I did a silent night, and I called it Silent Nizzle. If I do Christmas songs, I'm doing them in the public domain. This year, I'm doing Toyland 
and I'm going to do Away in the Manger. I'm writing an arrangement for horns and mandolin, trumpet, trombone, tenor saxophone. So, so yeah, I mean, definitely. Do you have any last words of encouragement for people who are just trying so hard to juggle family and work and life and create in the middle of things? Well, I think, I think that um, definitely look to you and people like you for inspiration, people who are acknowledging to be more creative and to keep your creative life is just as important as your other more functional part of life. If you would like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. I also hope that you're inspired to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every other Tuesday. If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fainhouse, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards from my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You will also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If this all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash Fainhouse to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. You can find this link, as well as links for each person I interview, in the show notes of each episode. I'm Annie Fane Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Food is music to the body. Music is food to the heart. Gregory David Roberts. Mm-hmm.